Well, thank you, Ernie, for sharing that. That's truly the message that we should be, I mean, we should have for those around us being a disciple. I want to welcome everyone here. Uh, see some folks have come back from the sunny south. It's good to see their brown faces in amongst the rest of us, pale faces. Um, but just welcome to our service this morning and also the, the, the visitors as well. And yes, it is truly a time to celebrate for Ruby, to be thankful. It goes right along with the message I want to present this morning. Basically, that the message title is called Praise Before Thanksgiving. I truly hope that we were praising God and that Ernie and Ruby were praising God too, even before she's been fully healed. But now there's a time of thanksgiving. And that's sort of what I, we want to look into the Bible, and I want to thank you, uh, Glenn, for that, the, the special music, the, the song. And uh, sort of, when you announced what the, the title was, Rhoda looked at me and she said, do you know that song? I said, nope. And I asked her, does she know it? She said, yes. And I said, of course. She, I think she knows every song that there is. <laughs> and I don't. But anyway, uh, it was a great message to that. Look, at, look to the Bible, ask God. And that's what we want to do this morning, uh, looking in his word. And again this morning... Um, I want, there's going to be periods of time that I want you to be, um, to use your imagination. Isn't that what children do? They use their imagination. So I'm hoping that I can uh, inspire you to use your imagination a little bit. I'm not used to this stuff up here yet. Maybe sometime I'll have electronics and get used to that. But I, I feel like if I spend time trying to figure that out, I'm going to be spending three times as much time. Uh, on message prep than I do now. So anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. But anyway, I just uh, truly want to come to his word and uh, look and see what he has for us. So let's uh, pause for a word of prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, give you honor and glory that you are truly worthy to be praised, Lord, even though we need to praise you all of our lives during tough times, during hard times, we still continue to need to recognize who you are and to praise you for who you are and what you have done and what you will continue to do. And then, Lord, there is also a time of thanksgiving. And as we look into your scriptures this morning, look at the, the story in the Old Testament we want to see and want to recognize those different steps involved and how Jehoshaphat has truly... He had gotten it. He really, truly recognized that part of it. So, Lord, as we come before you this morning, help us to also grasp that. And Lord, just help me to be used as a vessel to convey that message as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scripture portion is, of it is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And a little bit of introduction before we get started. Praising and thanksgiving, is there really truly a difference? And so I just sort of looked up definitions of praise and looked up the definition of thanksgiving. They go hand in hand, but there's truly a little bit of a difference there. And I'm going to be giving, uh, I used biblical definitions for that since we're familiar with that. Definition of praise, 
the expression of gratitude and respect towards God, especially in song. And isn't that truly what we were doing this morning? We were singing and praising God. And uh, even though we might be facing difficult times or facing something that looks insurmountable, but we can still praise because God is who he is. Definition of thanksgiving. Giving thanks for what God has done and who he is. And it comes from a grateful heart directed towards the one who has given so much and continues to bless. So we praise because we know who he is and what he can do and what he has done. And then in a time of thanksgiving, we thank him for how he has uh, worked in our lives and maybe answered some prayers or what we see the work that he has done. So looking at the Second Chronicles, this is a time period of, of kings, rulers, and it was during a time when Israel itself was split. There was a northern country, and then there was a southern country. Uh, the northern country was Israel, and the southern country was Judah. And so here I'm going to ask you a little bit um, the background, Jehoshaphat, this Jehoshaphat was reigning at this time down in Judah. That is the southern country. And during that time, he had been successful. He, had been, he turned back to, towards God. His father, Asa, had sort of started that trend, and then Jehoshaphat kept it going. Um, but then there was a period of time when the king of the north, Israel, King Ahab, we know that King Ahab was not a good king. He was a very evil king. But he came to Jehoshaphat and asked him if he would help him go up in the northeastern. Here we go, imagination here. Um, Dead Sea is here. The southern nation of Judah here. Then Israel here. And then on the, the northeast of, of the Dead Sea, for some reason, King Ahab wanted to go up there and capture the Syrian country. And so he asked Jehoshaphat if he would go help him. He said, I, I am at, at your disposal. I, my God is your God. I will do what you do. And so he made, he decided to join an evil king. And obviously there was some reservation there by some of the, the prophets and the, the different people there. But anyway, he did that. And when they went up into battle, King Ahab told him, now, I'm going to disguise myself so that, because this is the, the, the enemy is going to be wanting to destroy me. But you can, you, you still dress as a king and we'll go into battle that way. King Ahab thought he had a great way to disguise himself and maybe come through it alive and be victorious. But anyway... We read there in chapter 18 that he, a stray, stray, quote unquote, arrow found its way into, through the armor, and uh, he lasted through the day, but then he did not die. But during battle, the, uh, the enemy, they saw the Syrians, they saw somebody dressed as a king, and they went up to battle against him, and King Jehoshaphat saw that he made a mistake. He cried out to God. God delivered him graciously 
And I think that's what brought him to see that he still needs to continue to improve on bringing the nation, his nation back to God. And I think that's where he's at at this point. He's in a growing state. We're also all supposed to be in a growing state in our lives, no matter where we're at in our lives. And so when he cried out to God, and then the other people saw that he wasn't King Ahab, they left him alone. And so he fully realized that God had truly saved his life. When he came back to his own country, he got rebuked by one of the, the, the prophets, saying that he should have never, ever gone into battle with a wicked nation, which was Israel at that, to- at that time. He had made an alliance that he shouldn't have done. <clears throat> so he continued his reform. So we are going to start reading here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be reading several uh, scriptures. We're going to go through this story. I love Old Testament stories. They bring to life what is reaffirmed in the New Testament. It backs it up. And so I think we can draw lots of lessons from that as well. So as we look at, start reading, Second Chronicles Chapter 20, beginning there at verse 1. Later the Moabites and Ammonites and some Mennonites came to start a war with Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A large army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. They are already in Hazazan Tamar. Hazazan Tamar is also called Engedi. And so here we go again. Let's imagine my imaginary map up here on the wall. This is the Dead Sea here. This is Israel up here and Judah down towards the lower end of that. And over here are all the, the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the Mennonites. They're on the east side of the Dead Sea. And what they had done, here's the Dead Sea. When they had, what they had done to sneak in, they went down underneath the Dead Sea and came up about halfway up the Dead Sea. And so they were within striking range of Jerusalem, within 20 to 25 miles. When he found out, Jehoshaphat found out, that there's this big army waiting to attack him. And so how, how does somebody like that respond? How, how should we respond when we face something that looks huge? It looks like there's no way out. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. And he realized that he was in dire straits. Three different countries coming at him. He was outnumbered by thousands and thousands. And on such short notice to try to gather together a large army and try to get allegiance, alliance with some other countries, maybe Israel, that was out of the question. They were coming to attack. And he did not know what to do. He was getting blindsided. They came in from behind. How many times do we in our own lives feel like we're blindsided by Satan? Why is that? Am I not paying attention? Am I not seeing what is happening in my own life? Am I starting to let things slide a little bit? And all of a sudden, I come to realization that God 
is maybe trying to teach me something and trying to wake me up. And so he felt like he was getting blindsided. And so I think it's important that we, as we continue to read, that we realize that God wants to do things in our lives. And here, Jehoshaphat, I think he realized that God has been true to him so far. Maybe he's going to be true to him still as he continues. Verse 3, and I'll be reading through verse 13 on this portion. But he realizes that he, he has nowhere else to turn. So let's read this. Verse, starting at verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid, so he decided to ask the Lord what to do. Just like the song that Glenn and his group sang. He announced that no one in Judah should eat during this special time of prayer to God. The people of Judah came together to ask the Lord for help. They came from every town in Judah. Not just a few here and there, but every town. The people of Judah and Jerusalem met in front of the new courtyard in the temple of the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood up and he said, Lord, God of our ancestors, you are the God of heaven. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. You have power and strength. No one can stand against you. Our God, you forced out the people who lived in this land as your people, Israel, moved in. And you gave this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham. They lived in this land and built a temple for you. They said, if trouble comes upon us or war, punishment, sickness, or hunger... We will stand before you and before this temple where you have chosen to be worshipped. We will cry out to you when we are in trouble. Then you will hear and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Edom. You wouldn't let the Israelites enter their lands when the Israelites came from Egypt. So the Israelites turned away and did not destroy them. But see how they repay us for not destroying them? They have come to force us out of our land, out of your land, which you gave us as our own. Our God, punish those people. We have no power against this large army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. So we look to you for help. So I think that's a great way that we can look at. He responded in the way that all of us should respond when we are facing something big. Something that looks impossible. But we have to realize that God, with God, nothing is impossible. First of all, Jehoshaphat declared a time of fasting and prayer. How many times do I do that? How many times do we as a church, when we are facing something, do we declare a fast? A time of fasting and prayer. Jehoshaphat did that. And it says they came from every town. Not just a few households. But it said every town, every region was represented. And does that look like us? Every household, you represent a small community that you live in. So are you representative of that particular area, that region? God wants all our hearts And he was in a time of seeking what God's will is. There's so many verses in the Bible that encourage us in that way as well. Or that just solidify that, that 
When we seek him, he can be found. In Deuteronomy 4.29, it says this way, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul, not just a little bit, we have to be totally committed. Am I totally committed to God and what he truly wants for me? Look, seek God and look to the Bible. That's what I need to do. Lots of other verses as well. First Chronicles 26, First uh, Chronicles 29, 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. So if we recognize who God truly is and come before him, seeking him, if we truly seek him, we can understand that he's going to help us. Then we also have to recognize in his prayer, when he was praying, he was first seeking who God truly was. And in verse 6, he recognized that as well. He started to recognize that he was the God of their ancestors. He was the God in heaven. He truly was creator. And he recognized that he was a sovereign, that God is the only one that truly needs to be recognized as a sovereign God, sovereign creator. He is in control of everything. He created all of us. So it doesn't matter what we face, whether it's physical or otherwise, he's going to help us. So we have to realize that as well. Then he goes on to pray in verse 7. He talks about the history of how God had provided that land for him. And how in life that they could know that they could rely on him. Because he brought him out of Egypt. He brought him into this promised land. And he went through that history. First he was seeking his will. And then he recognized that he can give him help. And then he went back and re was reflecting on what all God has done. And I think we are called to do that as well. We are supposed to set pillars and altars in our life so that we can go back and we can look at that. And look at those things that God has helped, truly has helped us in tough situations. In the past, he's helping us now. And he's going to help us in the future. But if we have something that we can look back on and recognize that, yes, God was there with me through that tough situation. And he's going to be with me through this situation as well. And so when he was looking at that, there's also, if we read in Psalm 44, verses 1 through 8, there he recounts, uh, David recounts, all the things that God had done for him as far as bringing him out of Egypt, helping him capture this, and bringing them into the land of, the, bringing them into the promised land. So it's there for a reminder us, for us. And then we can ask the question, well, why was he reflecting? Why do we need to reflect? I think it's there to remind ourselves and each other that truly, then we can recognize who God is. And how he will help us now and forever. 
He has helped us in the past. He can help us in the future. But He can also help us now. And so if we reflect on the past, we set up pillars, then we can go back to those as well. We can also look at that in Deuteronomy 8. There's another passage that we can look back and see that everything that God did for them. There's other places that we, have, that we read in the, uh, in the Old Testament that we read about that there are certain people that set up pillars, actual pillars that they can go back to. And it usually says to the effect of, and to this day, this place is called that. And one of those things, one of those pillars that was put in place was, uh, there are several examples Jacob had, several happenings in his life that Jacob had in his life. And it's found in Genesis 28, verses 16 to 22. And that was when he had an experience with God in a dream. And he woke up and he realized God was in this place. God is in this place. And he, named, he set up a stone, a pillar, and poiled oil over it. And what did he call it? Anybody out there? Bethel. He called it Bethel. And to this day, it says it is called Bethel. And so that people could look back at that pillar and at that place and recognize God was with Jacob, our ancestor, at this place. And he will continue to be with us. Another time, Genesis 35, verses 9 through 15. Same type of situation. God spoke to him. That's when Jacob, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And the same thing. I, I forgot that he had set up a pillar, an altar, the same type of thing. He set it up, poured oil over it, and says this. Um, I don't think it, there it reads about not saying, uh, giving a certain name, but he set up a pillar. Something that was important in his life, important enough that he made effort to establish something that he can look back upon. And his families can look back upon it. Is when his name was changed to Israel. From Jacob to Israel. And obviously we know that God then used him later on. Um, Israel, the Israelites, and the, the, our Savior's lineage came through. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and all of that. And King David as well. So if we look back at that, we can also use that as a way to defeat when Satan attacks us with lies. He comes at us and accusing us of different things. And we can come back and say, but don't you see what God helped me do back here? He's going to help me now. And so we can denounce Satan in our lives as well when we face something big. So we need to place things in our lives, pillars, altars in our family devotions and our family time that we can look back upon and reflect upon and give God the glory for what he has done for us in the past. <clears throat> then also, we look at different things, promises, different promises that as, as uh, King Jehoshaphat was praying First he goes into history. Then he goes into promises. 
If trouble comes upon us or war, punishment, sickness or hunger, you, we will stand before you before you in this temple where you have chosen to be worshipped. We will cry out to you when we are in trouble. Then you will hear and save us. This is what he was reminding God. Promises that he'd given to him. We can pray promises as well. Do you remember here, I forget how long ago it was that I shared in, in, in sharing time that there are how many promises? Does anybody remember? Uh, there was a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Everick R. Storms. He had done a, a thorough study and he came up with a number of promises to us that are in the Bible. Does anybody remember, at least closely remember what that figure was? What's that? It was a lot more than that. Yeah, it was 7,487 promises that are in the Bible. We can go to those promises. We can look them up and then we can use that to be encouraged by God. Promises that he has given us, that he's going to be with us. He's going to help us. So we can go back to those and, and always know that he's going to rely on us. I mean, he's going to help us when we, re, we rely on him. So those are lots of those promises. So I think if we take that 365 promises, uh, 365 promises a day, I didn't do the calculations I should have to see how many years that actually would be, 7,487. If somebody wants to do that calculation, they can, I guess, to see how many years that that would actually take to read all those promises. Now, I don't have a list of all those promises, but I guess that would be your homework to try to find all of those. That would be quite a study as well. But anyway, God has many promises that we can go back to and be encouraged. And then as we go on, as he continues to pray, in verse 12, I think it uh, speaks very strongly to me. Verse 12, our God, punish those people. We have no power against this large army that is attacking. We don't know what to do. So we look to you for help. He is seeking and then he is surrendering. He's beyond himself. He has no idea what to do. He has nothing. He has nowhere to turn. When in our lives do we, have, do we come to those spots in our lives? When? Could be lots of different situations. But he says, my eyes are on you. Our eyes on you are on you, God. And there again, we have lots of verses in the Bible, promises as well. Psalm 25, 15, my eyes are always looking to the Lord for help. He will keep me from any traps. He will keep me. My eyes are on you. Psalm 123, 1, unto thee lift I, unto thee lift I up my, mine eyes. O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Psalm 141, 8, but mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. That's where Jehoshaphat was at. Don't leave us destitute. Don't leave us sitting alone. Then the whole chapter of Psalm 21. We're very familiar with Psalm 21 as well. Lots of promises in there. So the next question is, if we look at our own lives, what are some of the big things in your lives right now? What are you facing? Is there something that you're truly facing and you have nowhere else to turn. Am I going to do what King Jehoshaphat did? He turned to God. Am I going to surrender myself, my will, 
and my eyes going to be on God? What are you facing? Sickness. Loss of a loved one. Conflicts within family. Maybe with your employer. Otherwise, family dissension. And the list can go on and on. What looks big? What looks huge? We have a great example of what King Jehoshaphat did. He turned to God. Is that where I'm going to turn? Is that the first thing that I'm going to do? That's what he did. He saw there was no other way out. Verse 12 also recognizes God as being a provincial, you know, providential intervention as sustainer. He gives us, he sustains us in life. What's he say there? We have no power against this large army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, so we look to you for help, recognizing that he's going to help. He's going to sustain us through this, um, this conflict. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this way, If my people, which all we're familiar with, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Second Chronicles 15, 2. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He is worthy to be called the sustainer. The sovereign sustainer. So then the question comes, how should we pray? I don't have the answers. There's lots of different things, lots of different opinions. Obviously, Jehoshaphat came before him prostrate, yielding, surrendering totally. Lord, I don't know what to do. Can we look to Jesus? Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Is that what we do? But then some people say, is that how we're supposed to pray all the time? If we just pray for God's will to be done, then why, why pray at all? God knows what his will is. Why do we even need to pray? Obviously, I'm playing devil's advocate going from one side to the other, but just trying to get you to think about what does, how does God truly want us to pray? Then also we're reminded in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ. Jesus concerning you. So pray without ceasing. So we should be praying all the time. How many of us are praying all the time? We talked about that last week in Sunday school class a little bit about as far as 
uh, disciplines of disciples. Disciplining ourselves to be praying. How do we pray all the time? And somebody made the suggestion, well, maybe we pray more than we think we do. Especially if we come up or we, we want to get somewhere, we're running late or something, and we come up to a traffic light and it just stays green just long enough. Do we utter a prayer of thanks for God for letting that stay? Or is that, or other things too? When we just barely miss having an accident, do we thank God? So am I continually in prayer? Doesn't mean, I don't think it means that we are constantly praying out loud and saying, praying to God. But if our mind is set on God, that when something happens, we can give God a prayer during that time. Another example, James 4, 2, 2 through 3, on the way that we should pray. Here it says, the, second, uh, the last part of verse 2, and then go on to verse 3. Yet ye have not, because what? You ask not. Is that the way we feel? Here again, you can almost go to totally the opposite way. We're supposed to ask, right? That's what God wants us to do. Then verse 3 says, ye ask and receive not, because you, what? Ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts or your own pleasures. So is that the will of God when we pray? What is the will of God? Thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Just something to think about. How do I truly pray to God in my time of need? Then also in Romans 8, 26 and 27, I think I referred to this last week in sharing time. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our weakness. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. If we want to pray the will of God, we ask the Spirit's help. He can make intercession for us. Then another verse that's always encouraging to us. For me, Psalm 103, 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is with me, within me. Bless his holy name. In time of prayer, bless his holy name. <clears throat> so in prayer, do we use that example of how Jehoshaphat, first fasting in prayer, and then falling prostrate again and say, Lord, I have nowhere else to go. My eyes are on you. Now let's continue on. Verse 13 there it says something about everyone at that time when during this prayer everyone was still in, in, in front of God there at the temple. They were yielding to what God everyone was still there. They were united together. And then verses 14 through 17. Then the Spirit of the Lord entered in Jehaziel. No. Yeah. I need to read verse 13. I 
neglected to read verse 13. All the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their babies, wives, and children. Basically reminding me that we need to come before God with our whole families at times as well. Then as we continue in verse 14 through 17. Then the Spirit of the Lord entered into Jehaziel. Jehaziel was Zechariah's son. Zechariah was Benaiah's son. Benaiah was Jael's son. And Jael was Madaniah's son. Jehaziel, a Levite and a descendant of Asaph, stood up in the meeting. He said, listen to me, King Jehoshaphat, and all you people living in Judah and Jerusalem. The Lord says this to you. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this large army. The battle is not your battle. It is God's. Tomorrow go down there and fight those people. They will come up through the pass of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the ravine that leads to the desert of Jeruel. You won't need to fight in this battle. Just stand strong in your places and you will see the Lord save you. Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid or discouraged because the Lord is with you. So go out against those people tomorrow. So basically saying, whatever we face, the battle isn't ours. It's God's. All we need to do is stand still and wait on what he has for us. And we have lots of examples in the Bible as well. Moses. When he was reminding the people, he said, fear not and stand still. Joshua, be strong and be of good courage. We know God's going to help us. But how many times do we want to do something? But God instructs us, stand still and wait on the Lord. We have lots of examples. Then it goes on, battle is not yours. Remember the uh, prophet Elisha and his servant, his servant was concerned because he was seeing, he, they were surrounded. But then Elisha said, there's more for us than there are against us. And he prayed that his servant's eyes would be open. And then he saw that the multitude of uh, heavenly hosts were there. Gideon, what about Gideon? We have to realize that God is there for us regardless. He gave specific details where to go and what to do. And what about Jehaziel? God spoke to him. We talked about that in our Sunday school, Sunday school class this morning. God spoke to him and he obeyed. We need to hear the still small voice and heed God's will. And then verses 18 through 29, uh, 21. Jehoshaphat bowed face down on the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem bowed down before the Lord and worshipped him. Then some Levites from the Kohathite, Kohathite and Korahite people stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with very loud voices. Jehoshaphat's army went out in the desert of Tekoa early in the morning. As they were starting out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, people of Judah and Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will stand strong. Have faith in his prophets. And you will succeed. Jehoshaphat listened to the people's advice. Then he chose men to be singers to the Lord. And to praise him because he is holy and wonderful. As they marched in front of the army. They said thank the Lord because his love continues forever. As we look at that when they went out to battle. Normally the soldiers go first not. He was in, he got, he put the praisers, the people singing praises to God in front. 
That, I recognize that God is in control there. But then the soldiers came behind them. That is the human way to try to tackle something, right? We want to do it our, way, our own way. And they were going into battle. So they have to, had to realize that. And so there's also other ways that when we yield to God, we have to continually praise Him. Even though we don't know the outcome. Even we, when we pray, we don't know the outcome of what our prayers will be. Is it going to be, is the answer going to be yes, no, or wait? But we still need to praise God for that. Verses 22 through 23. As they began to sing and praise God, the Lord set up ambushes for the people of Ammon, Moab, and Edom who had come to attack Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites attacked the Edomites, destroying them completely. After they had killed the Edomites, they killed each other. Confusion. Total confusion. God caused it. What happened with Gideon? Same type of thing. There was confusion. God is victorious when we let him handle the big things in our lives. Then in verse 24, let's continue reading verse 24 through 26. When the men from Judah came to a place where they could see the desert, they looked up at the enemy's large army, but they only saw dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his army came to take their valuables, they found many supplies, much clothing, and other valuable things. There was much... There was more than they could carry away. There was so much it took three days to gather it all. On the fourth day, Jehoshaphat and his army met in the valley of Barakah and praised the Lord. That is why the place has been called the valley of Barakah to this day. And Barakah means blessing. They were blessed for following God's instructions. 27. Verse 27, then Jehoshaphat led all the men from Judah and Jerusalem back to Jerusalem. The Lord had made them happy because their enemies were defeated. They entered Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets and went to the temple of the Lord. Now it was a time of thanksgiving because God had saved them. And we still have to give God thanksgiving. Even though sometimes God says no, God says yes, God says wait. In our prayers, we still have to give, praise him and give him thanksgiving. That's why I titled it, Here was a king that was praising God and giving him glory before he knew what the outcome was going, going to be. He still wanted to praise God for who he was because he truly cares for us. So they came back joyfully and then they thanked him for the protection and the provision. We have to give thanksgiving. We need to do the same in our lives. Thanksgiving after praising. And during that time, we have to declare to other people what God has been doing in our lives. Helping us be victorious over all the battles. So I guess the challenge I want to leave with everyone this morning is this. Let's do a lot King Jehoshaphat did. That gets my tongue tied. Jehoshaphat. First of all, what did he do? He was seeking God first. Then he surrendered. Then he praised God. And then they had thanksgiving and rejoicing. Let's follow that pattern. And when we're praying, when we're praying 
for God's will to be done. I found this writing somewhere. We need to be praying for his will because praising is his will and then we need to parade to his will. They paraded. Jehoshaphat and his king, kingdom paraded to his will. They followed his orders. They were marching to God's orders, to God's uh, calling. Psalm 46.1, we can take this to heart. It's just another promise. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. But let's remember. And I'm talking to myself. I need to remember to praise God in my hard times, even before I know what the outcome is. Because God is sovereign. God is in control. And then verses, verse 30. What does verse 30, 29 and verse 30 uh, say? When all the kingdoms of the land around them heard how the Lord had fought Israel's enemies, they feared God. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was not at war. His God gave him peace from all the countries around him. Can't we take that to heart? Can't I take that to heart? If we follow God's heart, uh, will, we can live in peace. It might be turmoil around us. It might, we, we're still going to have turmoil in our lives. But if we have peace within our hearts, that's what we should be seeking for. That's what I need to do, even though it's hard, whatever we're facing. I feel like we can have peace within our hearts if we continue to trust in God. I just want to end with a poem that I found. Because we know God is in charge, nothing's too small to ask and nothing's too large. Because we know God answers prayer, then there's no need we have outside our Father's care. Because we know our God delights in faith, then we may ask great things we need not hesitate. Because we know our Father God above hears and answers our prayers, we offer prayers with love. So if I truly know that God is in charge, God answers prayer, God delights in faith, and we know, if I personally know our Father God above, then we can truly come before him and pray, thy will be done, even though it's hard. So I just want to challenge you, all of us. I'm t talking to myself as well. It's not easy when we face hard things. But what are you facing that looks like a huge mountain that you can't cross? Follow Jehoshaphat's model. Seek, surrender, praise, and rejoice. I think I want to follow that model. So I want to leave that with you for this coming week and a challenge for myself as well. So why don't we all stand for a word of prayer? And after the prayer, you can consider yourselves dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you that you care about us. Thank you that we can truly come before you knowing that you are a sovereign God, knowing that you see what is happening. You know what is happening. 
There are no surprises for you, Lord. So when we surrender our lives to you, we seek your face. We can truly pray, thy will be done. And help us to continue to praise you and give you thanksgiving during the hard times and the good times. And help us to encourage each other in prayer. Father, that's what a body is, this body is for, to encourage each other and to lift each other up in prayer. So we just want to give you honor and glory, praise you for who you are, give you thanksgiving for what you've done for us in the past, what you're doing for us now, and what you'll continue to do for us in the future. You are a sovereign God that loves us. We want to commit everything into your hands and give you honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.